Listen, everyone. God says to people to hear him because he has something to say. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this program is called Bible Discovery. We are here to discover the Word of God, the Bible, the 66 books. And it is interesting. In about five minutes, we're going to talk and teach on Isaiah 41. Now, this is fascinating, but before we do that, Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? Well, Mom and I are going to be combining our segments today because we want to have a discussion about some of the interesting things we stumbled upon while we were reading Isaiah 41 today. Ryan? Well, today I'm going to go on location to talk about the structure of the book of Isaiah because some have noticed that it parallels the structure of the Bible, kind of like a mini Bible. So we'll talk about it. All right. We're going to do all of that. And they're coming up in about 20 minutes time. So there is a lot to study today. Isaiah is a fascinating writer. I will tell you, yeah, he's my favorite. So let's open up and learn what he says. Isaiah 41, 1 through 10. Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? Who gave them as dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow? Who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last I am he. The coastlands saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. He who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah chapter 41, verses 1 through 10. Isaiah is an amazing prophet, I'll tell you. He is uh, a beautiful writer and uh, a stunning communicator. And the Holy Spirit uses him and puts words in his mouth. Now, when we think about what recorded history is, we come to the realization that it is imperfect. History comes to us from limited human perspective and experience, and it is written for different reasons. In conflict, for example, there will be at least two sides of the story. Often it is only God who knows all the sides, only God who knows the whole truth. 
Added to this complexity is the idea of God working through humanity and through history. In his ultimate wisdom, our history is being written by our choices and his work through us and through those choices. Isaiah 41 reminds us that God is always involved in the affairs of humanity, even if it feels like he isn't. And even though humans make very foolish and ungodly decisions. Now, to me, this idea brings me a lot of peace, let me tell you. I can trust my all-powerful, all-knowing, just, and merciful God in these times. Let's consider his truth as we read through Isaiah's work. And I want to say, if ever there was a time to trust in the all-knowing and all-powerful God, this is that time. As we focus on real history or truthful history, what's really going on and what's really happening. If you take a look at the world from what's going on in the world from an American point of view and take a look at the world, what's going on from a European point of view, take a look at the world, what's going on from an Asian point of view, you will likely have three different experiences and three different explanations. But it is God who is outside of time and space who sees all of it. And we need to pay attention to what he says. Take your Bible guide and turn today to Isaiah chapter, this is actually chapter 41. And as we look at this, consider what God is saying. If you don't have a Bible guide, by the way, you can write for one or call for one or go to Bible Discovery TV. We will be happy to send you one. Just click on the page of Bible Discovery TV and you can download it as we've put it together for print. And as we focus on this, let's consider praying first and asking God to speak to our hearts. Father, today we come to you and we pray as we read this brilliant Hebrew prophet Isaiah, that you would show us your way and teach us your path. Our desire is not to simply read it and, and believe, oh, that's that, that's the reason why he's Jewish. And our desire is to hear you. Father, we want to hear what you've said so that we can understand where we are today and understand what our response is today in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen. Now look carefully at this particular passage. It says in verse one of chapter four, keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let them come near together for judgment. Now this is fascinating. Understand that God tells humanity, all the earth in fact, to listen to him. God is speaking. In reference to the world, coastlands are mentioned 15 times in the entire Bible, 66 books. But 14 of those 15 times are in this book called Isaiah. Now that's important to remember. Isaiah is clearly talking about something. God is saying something to the earth. God is speaking to us today where we are with what we have. Now the question is, are we listening or are we just propagating, putting our opinions out there and making decisions and doing it ourselves? Or, or do we have the word of God in our hearts that we can sift through this and say, Lord, what is this? What is this? And ask the Lord to speak to us. Now that's the key. You know, today 
there are many prophecy programs and they all talk about what people want to hear to generate money. But it's important for us to understand that prophecy is about telling the truth about what God said, regardless of whether money comes or doesn't. That's very important. What did God say? Let's read on. Isaiah chapter 41, beginning with verse 2. Who raised up one from the east? Who, or, or who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? Who gave them as the dust to the sword, to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow? Who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am first, and with the last, I am he. What does this mean? God controls all things, yet he keeps our free will intact. You see, beloved, we should adjust our thinking to include God's supreme truth in the Bible. The truth of God, the objective truth, the real truth, what's really happening, the, the broader perspective to, to pull out and say, Lord, what are we viewing here? That's the thing we need to do, and that's what the Bible helps us to understand. As we read through Isaiah, we begin to realize, wait a minute, there's something bigger going on. God is doing something. And what we think the future holds is not necessarily up to us in terms of our voting decisions, but it's up to us in terms of our repentance decisions. Are we repenting? Are we saying to God, we need to change? I need to change. That's something we need to keep in mind. Well, let's go to the last passage of scripture. This is interesting. 5 through 10. The coastlands saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. He who smooths with a hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil saying, it is ready for soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. But you, Israel, you are my servant, Jacob, who I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Abraham, my friend. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from the fairest region or farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Which brings me to this third point to close with. God chooses to help all of those who choose him. Israel was selected because Abraham was God's friend. Now, that's important for us to remember. A friend is somebody who we can communicate with. God is supreme. There's no question about it. He is supreme. But I can communicate with him as I would a friend. We need to keep that in mind, beloved. That's why we don't make idols and we don't run after all of these things. We come to the Bible and we pray. Hi. 
Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and today we read Isaiah chapters 41 to 42. But I want to zoom out and look at all 66 chapters, because some have noticed that the structure of Isaiah is a lot like the Bible. And one example of this is that Isaiah has 66 chapters, just like the Bible has 66 books. But is this idea of Isaiah being a miniature version of the Bible really valid? Well, that's what we're going to discuss today as I go on location. So let's go. Hi friends, it's Ryan Hamber here coming to you from Menorah Park in Ontario, Canada. And in this video, we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah and in particular, the structure of it, because some see it as a miniature version of the entire Bible. So grab your Bible and let's go. Okay, so Isaiah. Isaiah is the first of the major prophets of the Bible, and his book is also the longest of the prophetic books, as it's composed of 66 chapters. Now, notably, chapters 1 through 39 have quite a different style and tone than chapters 40 through 66 do. While the first 39 chapters generally focus on God's judgments, the last 27 are largely words of comfort and hope for God's people. Now, what's interesting is that Isaiah's structure and dramatic thematic shift seems to parallel the Bible. For example, just as Isaiah has 66 chapters, the Bible has 66 books. But it doesn't end there because the Old Testament's 39 books, like Isaiah's first 39 chapters, focuses more on the bad news, while the New Testament's 27 books, like Isaiah's last 27 chapters, focuses more on the good news. And if that's not enough, Isaiah 40 actually opens up with a prophecy about the one who will make the paths of the Messiah straight, just as the New Testament opens up with the fulfillment of that prophecy through John the Baptist. Now, while this is definitely interesting, it's important to realize that these similarities are superficial for at least two reasons. First, the chapter and verse divisions in the Bible were added long after the scriptures were completed, meaning that these divisions, while very helpful, are not divinely inspired. In fact, the chapter divisions were created around AD 1227 by Stephen Langdon, and the verse divisions were created even later. As a matter of fact, the verses of the Old Testament were developed by a Jewish rabbi named Nathan in 1448, and the New Testament's verses were developed in 1551 by Stephanus. The second reason that the structural similarities between Isaiah and the Bible are superficial is that there are different ways of counting the Old Testament books. For instance, what Christians count as 39 books, Jews count as only 22, or sometimes 24, even though the content is exactly the same. And the reason for the differences is because Jews consider two-volume works, such as Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, to be one. Jews also combine the twelve minor prophets into one book, as well as Jeremiah with Lamentations and Ezra with Nehemiah. As a result, the number of books in the Jewish version of the Old Testament is only about 22, meaning that the total number of biblical books will be 49, not 66. Of course, just because the man-made divisional parallels between Isaiah and the Bible are artificial, it doesn't mean that there are no parallels. It just means we have to look deeper. As one scholar puts it, 
The book of Isaiah manages to contain in its 66 chapters virtually the whole of biblical theology, from God's transcendence through creation and redemption to the final destiny of the cosmos. Okay, so as you can see, these parallels between Isaiah and the Bible involving chapter divisions really break down when we consider that the chapter and verse divisions were added long after the Bible was complete because that means they're not divinely inspired. And as you may have noticed while reading the Bible, some of the chapter and verse breaks are kind of in awkward positions. So while these man-made divisions are really helpful, we shouldn't really make too much of them. But as I said in the video, just because the man-made divisional parallels between Isaiah and the Bible are artificial. It doesn't mean that there are no parallels. It just means that we have to look a little bit deeper. And speaking of going deeper, if you want to watch this video totally uncut, then you can find it on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, where there are no time limits. It's very interesting because uh, when you when you put together the pieces and you and you put that to tape, you begin to or not tape but drive. You, you begin to realize that it's 900 AD before they started dividing the Bible into chapters and verses. Actually, verses came first and uh, then chapters came. But did you know, and this is a fascinating story, that uh, the gentleman who did that, uh, one of the gentlemen, had to ride on a horse because people were trying to kill him hmm. uh, for adding that material because they thought he was adding to the Bible. And uh, he wasn't, he was just you know, making it organized. But it's a fascinating discovery of the reality of God. When you go to see the Dead Sea Scrolls, Isaiah, you don't see any verses at all on that. So yeah, it's really and actually, I'll just say this, uh, as I documented in my segment, the chapters actually came first. Oh, did the, the verses, chapters The verses first? came okay. second, so, right. yeah. But that's interesting that he had to run because he was being killed. Absolutely, People yeah. People were after him, so. And you know what? It's turned out to be quite useful. It has <laughs> been. Quite useful. It has its drawbacks, for sure, yeah. because I think sometimes we naturally think that when a chapter ends, it's kind of a completed thought, but it's mm -hmm. not necessarily yeah. so. Exactly. Some of them land at a completed thought. And some don't. That's right. And if you're reading between the, the Jewish versions and the English versions, you'll notice some variation there as well. So yes. you got to pay attention to but that. But by and large, it's really helpful to be like, to, to say to someone, mm -hmm. you know, I'm looking in Isaiah 41, not in Isaiah That's right. Or, or, or to memorize the scriptures. Yeah. To, to learn their references, to know where they are. Right? Absolutely. So yeah. Yes. It, was a, it was a benefit. In for fact, sure. there's a Bible, a, a, a children's Bible, a new version that has recently come out that I just got for my oldest son, who's going to be six this year and it doesn't have any of the chapters and verses in it. And it's very confusing to me because I'm so <laughs> used to chapters and verses. It's, it's nice because it's not distracting for kids, but right. It's a it's a different experience. Yes. So if any yeah. of you wants to experience it, I'll I'll, I'll yeah. let you know. No, in the <laughs> chapter, I, I I really appreciate the chapter and the verses. We just have to be careful not to draw theological Agreed. points from them. That's that's uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. so. And they, some people did that when they try to make the Bible a center at, at Psalm one eighteen eight. It's that's not the center of the Bible. Uh, if you count the verses and all of that. So it's yeah. really... And, and the Jews organize their Bible a little bit differently In too. In fact, so. they do. They yes. do. So that's fascinating. Okay, Corey. Okay. So mom and I were reading Isaiah chapter 41. Mm. And, and we thought it was really interesting how, you know, we see this pretty clear contrast in Isaiah chapter 41 between... God and his relationship with Israel and idols and their relationship with Israel, with Judah. And unfortunately, there was 
quite a robust relationship between idolatry and Judah and Israel, wasn't there? I mean, we, we see that represented. Um, I'm here at Isaiah 41 and, and whenever you want, like jump in as well. Um, I know we were talking about how we thought it was so interesting how near the end of Isaiah chapter 41 in mm-hmm. verse 21, uh, God confronts through Isaiah's words, he confronts the idols of his people. And he says, present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Tell us, you idols, what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so we may know that you are gods. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we will be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing and your works are utterly worthless. Whoever chooses you is detestable. So this idea that the people are becoming like what they're worshiping. Yes. And I mean, I, I think that on this side of, of time, you know, now in our modern age, it's really easy for us to just think that that's just really silly, that they would even go there into idol worship. Yes. You know, and that, but that was their cultural context. That was what was available to fill in their felt needs. Yes. You know, if they needed something immediately and they prayed to God and he wasn't giving it to them immediately, idols and and other gods and spirits were something that they could go to 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 fill in those needs at least temporarily and and I think that we can empathize with that concept a lot more. I mean, there's a lot of different spiritual ways, weird things that we as modern humans do too to fill our spiritual needs. Well, and I think, I think too, to your point, the ancient cultures when they would sacrifice to their gods, mm-hmm. um, and 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 Israel would have seen a measure of success. Absolutely, right. Yeah. And so we too, we can be tempted to to look at. Um, the way other people live and they mm-hmm. seem to be getting what we would call as Christians blessed. Mm-hmm. Well, how come they have and we don't? Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy to get into that trap, I think, even in our modern, modern culture. And yet we don't see it as the same. Um, these things that we depend upon, um, as people, uh, as, as believers, where is our faith? God tells Israel earlier, um, he says, and it's one of my favorite passages in Isaiah, fear not, for I am with you, God tells his people. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's one of the most beautiful passages uh, Mm -hmm. that we have and promises from God. Uh, But we have to make sure that we understand where our trust is. Yeah where our faith is. And a lot of times um, we step out of line, don't we? Mm-hmm. Because we are tempted to, to, to go out of that. And But yet God calls, present your case, bring forth your strong reasons. Mm-hmm. God is willing, God is big enough to go through our challenges as yeah. people. He's not right? afraid of our ideas or of our our problems that we have with him or the issues. He wants us exactly. to engage with him. He's not a, the, the truth doesn't have to be afraid because it's the truth. Good is it's it, right? there it is right there. There it's, it is. It's the truth. And in it's Isaiah the truth. chapter one, 
the Bible says that God says, come Isaiah, let us reason together. Yeah. So the idea of God reasoning with us is mm-hmm. stunning. This is a divine mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet he understands because he made us. Yeah. He understands that we want to engage with mm-hmm. him. And at the end of this chapter, it says, indeed, they are all worthless, talking about idols and our trust in them. Their works are nothing. Their molded images are wind and confusion. Mm-hmm. I love that that analogy. Mm-hmm. And and what do we see when when we look at the world today? Yeah. Everything is tossed in the wind and everybody wind. is so confused. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks that they have the answer, mm-hmm. that yeah. they know what's going on and if they don't, they're completely tossed in the wind and one day it's this and another day it's that. And what a foundation to live on. That's mm-hmm. a that's an awful way to have to live life well, being tossed. Cuz most of the world most of the relationships and the interactions that we have with the world is transactional, right? Yes. I do this and then this happens. I get this. Mm-hmm. But the the relationship that we're supposed to have with God is more of a relationship. It's more right. of a parent-child relationship than anything else. And, and, and all parents everywhere know that your relationship with your kids can't be transactional. <laughs> like it can't be, well, if you're a good boy, then I'll feed you, then I'll clothe you. Yeah. Then I'll, that's just not the way it works, is it? <laughs> like they true. depend on us mm-hmm. for everything and their trust is in us. And it's a sacred trust that, yes. a, that a child has in a parent that like, I, I just take for granted granted that you're going to keep me alive, right? So it's it's not the, the, the relationship that we have with God is supposed to be so sacred and yes. so different than the relationship that we have with everything else yes. in our life. And it's that same relationship as a child mm-hmm. that God is our heavenly father and he is the one who is our supplier. Mm-hmm. And he's telling, he's reminding his people, fear not for I am with you. I haven't left you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. And in that relationship with God, how beautiful it is to learn that trust, Mm -hmm. to be like a little child, to be able to rest in the knowledge and the peace of God's greatness and of his majesty and of his mercy Mm -hmm. and in his love Mm -hmm. compared to wind and confusion. Exactly. And (laughs) rather than wind and confusion, we get a firm foundation and we get understanding. Amen. We need to pray for the people of Russia. There's a lot going on there and it's the government, but we need to pray. And Father, we pray today for the people in Russia. Touch them and help them and encourage their hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them strength, especially the Christians, Lord. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus. Also, we pray, Lord, for Israel. Help us to have the right attitude towards this amazing nation, which you have chosen. 